What's going on? This is TJ Murphy, and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Amanda Real. Amanda is an author, speaker, and coach who embodies a passion for creating, connecting, and helping others find their true north. Known for her prolific writing style, Amanda's life brings nuances to paper in a way that resonates with many, giving them a sense of belonging and purpose. Featured in the Harvard Business Review, she's currently penning a book on work-life integration that promises to inspire. Beyond writing, Amanda offers transformative life coaching, where each session helps subsidize coaching sessions for single moms through Habitat for Humanity. As a dynamic public speaker and workplace culture consultant, she's revolutionizing how early-stage startups perceive work. With her program, companies not only learn more about their employees, but also cultivate a space where employees are happier, more connected, and dedicated. Just a few of the golden takeaways Amanda shares in this episode are the significance of having an intentional writing practice, overcoming the challenges of imposter syndrome and work-life integration, and the importance of showing up bravely to seize opportunities. So without further ado, this is me and Amanda Real. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, hey, Amanda, welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. Thanks, TJ. It's good to be with you. Yeah, I've been excited for this one all day. So love to start with just a bit of background on, on you and your journey. I know it hasn't always been smooth sailing and you've had to overcome some tremendous adversity to get to where you're at today. So walk us through your story. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I went to Bible college as a young 20 something and, um, got involved in, uh, church leadership for about 15 years. And that was kind of the focus of my career at that time, uh, in the hope to really just be useful to people and to, to love people. And that, is something that I've never strayed away from, but that was sort of where my career went. And I was doing uh, all kinds of jobs in the background, trying to support that life that I was living. Um, we were living in community with a bunch of other people, my husband and I, and um, just caring for folks, um, helping out with people financially, just doing whatever we could do to sort of live like a village. So that was yeah. like, 15 years of our lives. Um, we were living in Portland at the time. And as I was going through a career transition, as I mentioned, I was working a lot of um, administrative jobs, project, project engineering jobs for construction firms. I went through a little bit of a lull. And um, as I was transitioning, I wondered this writing thing that I had always sort of come this back passion to time, that you time had. again. Yeah. yeah, this passion that I had. Um, I wondered for just 
just a second while I was looking for a new job, um, if that's something that I could do. And I uh, built, decided to try freelance writing for a minute. And within six months, I had landed 30 different clients. I really fell in love with not just the writing, but also the hustle of it all. I fell in love with um, the idea of joining people in their projects and um, quickly grew my projects to a point where I couldn't even manage them all. So I started hiring people to do administrative work for me and do the pieces that um, maybe I wasn't as talented at or I wasn't as efficient at. And even some of even outsourced a bit of the writing um, during that time um, so that I could keep growing. And that ended up being a really, really great move for me um, and a really fun and comfortable place for me to be, not only just doing my passion of the written word um, and diving into the ghostwriting world, um, but also just my passion for people um, and the way that I found quickly that I could uh, have a conversation with someone and then take that passion, that excitement that I had in the interview process and translate it then into the written word and to, to create a piece of writing that um, represented you, your ideas, and also your voice to the point where you would go, oh my gosh, feels like I wrote it like that that would be the greatest point of success for me so um yeah that was that was how I transitioned into the world of ghost writing so as I was building my client base I got connected with a company who exclusively does ghost writing for executives for top tier publications like Newsweek, Forbes, uh, Rolling Stone, Fast Company, place, Entrepreneur, places like that wow. and uh they were they hired me to just do a couple of these articles for some of their clients. And then after we did a few, um, it, we just all discovered that this was a really great fit for me. And so they were actually looking for somebody to come and join their writing team. And at the time I had really been enjoying my entrepreneurial life. Like I had really been enjoying being my own boss, having flexible work schedule, um, all of that. And, and I think really realizing for the first time um, what the things were that I needed in order to be really, really productive and efficient um, because the typical nine to five didn't always work super well for me that way. Um, and so I was a little bit hesitant to take the role, but knowing, um, knowing the, th the opportunities that I might have and the things that I might be able to learn from being a part of this organization, um, and being able to talk with them, negotiate, like, how can I still run my business? How can I still be an entrepreneur, but also like fill this role for you um, was, was a really important conversation that we had early on. Um, Cause it was very important to me not to lose that. Cause that had been this wonderful point of freedom and being myselfness that was really necessary for me. Um, so I was very, very excited to get to negotiate that. Um, that engagement for the next couple of years. And uh, I spent a couple of years developing my role there and was able to, along the way, get published in Entrepreneur Magazine and Harvard Business Review. Um, I have three articles published there and I'm working on some more. And I think um, it was really great to be a part of that organization to help me move along on the road that I was already on. And so that engagement um, was really, really valuable for what it was for the time that it was. And I'm really, really excited actually now to be returning back to, um, 
this era of self-employment and of creating my own business after having learned a lot of great skills there and hopefully served that organization really well as well. And now back yeah, to writing. Now back to, now back to writing and to helping people and really empowering them. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned, I don't think I've ever heard it coined that way, being myselfness or my myselfness. <laughs> like it's so critical. And the fact that you were in a entrepreneurial world, you were your own boss, you were building something and you were empowering other people by being able to take the writing, which isn't a skill set that many people have off their shoulders, but still making it sound authentic and genuine and real. That's a tremendous gift. And the ability for you to take on this role where you're going to have amazing opportunity, you're going to gain some connections, some leverage, the opportunity to get published in big name, you know, media what a tremendous opportunity, but you don't want to sacrifice the thing that was giving you that myselfness. So right. it goes to Absolutely. you to be able to advocate for yourself and figure out a way to step into that role while still maintaining the things that you loved and, and that you were passionate about. So I think that's a good segue into where where things are at today with your business. Who, who are you serving? How are you helping mm -hmm. them? And what's got your focus right now here in July of 2023? Yeah. So another one of my clients um, prior to me taking on my full-time role was for a coach training, uh, a coach training company. And so I was blogging for them and I didn't know much about coaching, life coaching, executive coaching before that point, but was able to get really deep into that world. Um, and so that all happened. And I was doing that concurrently with my full-time role. Um, and really opened my eyes to the world of coaching. I didn't know much about it before. And um, there was a lot of really, really powerful tools that I was discovering that were really, really helpful to people as I was just writing about the concepts for, for this company's blog. Yeah. And so in the process, decided to um, get certified as a coach and go through their training program. And um, in so doing, it, it connects a lot to the pastoral ministry that I used to do for so many years, similar back to helping people, back to jumping into um, just the corners of people's lives. I mean, um, that's something that's very important to me as a coach. Um, and coaching is my primary, uh, the primary direction that I'm heading right now um, is to work one-on-one -on -one with individuals and also with groups and corporate groups. Um, in my experience, work, working and talking with a lot of different corporate executives over the last few years, especially, and realizing um, how much people don't take the time to stop and think about where their North Star is and whether the path that they're on is actually heading toward that North Star. It actually, it doesn't take a lot of time. So, so right now, um, I am focusing on three different pieces. I'm focusing on the coaching. I'm focusing on my writing and I'm focusing on um, a public speaking career as well to be able to help people in this conversation, to be able to, I call it like the inhale and the exhale. Like I'm constantly reading and taking in information and taking in wisdom from a lot of different sources and to be able to exhale that back out in, in coaching meetings and in my writing and in my speaking. Love that. And I know something that we've talked about before is imposter syndrome. And I know that's a mm -hmm. huge thing. Imposter syndrome is such a common phenomenon. We all experience it at one time 
or another, but for many, it can be really crippling. I mean, it can hold people back from achieving their dreams. And to me, it is one of the biggest challenges that I want to help people overcome. And I know you're a huge advocate for conquering it as well. So if you're up for it, I'd love to open up a conversation and for starters, would you be up for just sharing like how imposter syndrome has affected you personally and in your professional life? Yeah. Yeah. That was actually the topic of my first Harvard Business Review article. So it's a very, very close to my heart topic and also something that um, I continue to encounter. And I think a lot of us continue to encounter every day as entrepreneurs. Um, When I was starting my business from scratch, I didn't have any sort of resume to show like I'm a professional writer and I can handle your writing project well. And so that was a challenge because that's what you're used to when you're like applying for jobs. That's your sense of legitimacy, right? Is this education maybe that you have certifications, trainings, experience, any of these things. What I had was what I, what I had was a talent, I hope. (laughs) And so I had to figure out a way to like communicate that talent. But part of that is actually leaning into the idea that you might have a talent. Um, and that's a, kind of a scary thing because, uh, you, you know, you can have people around you that love you sort of hearing you on and saying, oh, you're an amazing writer. And I would love, you know, for you to help me, you know, write this cover letter, this, this or that, like, those are all really wonderful things to be able to go and come to a potential client and say, you should pay me a lot of money for this skill that I have. It, it takes, <laughs> that's like the ultimate imposter syndrome, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> so, it's courage. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really, really tricky. And so I, what I tried to explore in that was, um, you know, the story I always go back to is like, I'd be on the phone with um, potential clients hand or, handling uh, projects that I'd really never taken on before. And they would ask me a question like, well, how do you normally handle this type of thing? And I knew in my mind that I had never handled <laughs> that particular question and there were some people on the phone that would uh very easily I knew I could just say that and we could have a laugh together and I'd still get the project and you know we had a great rapport but there were other people that were a little bit more serious and who I, I knew were had very you know high expectations for the project and were maybe evaluating a lot of different um, candidates for the project and so what I ended up leaning into was not was not a deception of, oh, well, let me tell you how I've handled these things that I haven't really handled, but was deciding in that moment, this is how I handle that. Yeah. And so that was a big turning point for me because I knew that I could say that with confidence. This is how I handled that particular question that you have about how to do this project. Um, and I knew that if it didn't work, like I'd figure it out, you know, I can adjust my process later but that I had to start somewhere. And so that was that was a really, really big piece for me. Um, and I think the other big piece that I have to remind myself every day, um, ideally every morning I'm writing, I'm doing like Julia Cameron's morning pages, you know, three pages mm-hmm. of just straight writing. Um, and every day I'm facing the question, like imposter syndrome asks you the question, um, like what, why would anybody want to listen to you? Why would anybody want to hear what you have to say? But turning imposter syndrome on its head is 
like, what if they're waiting for you to say something? Like, what, what if they're hoping for you to say something? What if you say something and they thank you for, for showing up? They're so glad that you said something and trying to take a look at our like life and work from that perspective really changes it where you don't feel like you're like sort of knocking on the door and like asking for permission to come in. You're expecting that people actually want other people to show up authentically. People actually want to hear who you are, what you care about, what your passions are. And they want to be encouraged by your story and your journey, no matter what it is, whether you're an entrepreneur or, um, or not, you know? So I think that that's a conversation that I have with myself a lot as I'm sort of facing the imposter syndrome beast. Yeah. I love just the, the ability you had to be honest in certain situations. I think that's the hardest thing that especially people that are just getting started with something are going to encounter is, Oh, I don't know everything. Like how can I show up in this meeting and and be confident yeah. and make the sale or provide the value, whatever it is. But the reality is that person is engaging with you for a reason. Like you, you already right. got, you already made the date happen. So there's a level right. of legitimacy to whatever you're doing just by the fact that you're having that meeting, if that's the situation we're talking about. And it's totally okay to be somebody that can be honest and say, you know what? I don't have the answer to that question, but I'm going to find out what it is and get back to you so we can talk about a plan of action around it. And most people, I would say the people that you're going to want to work with anyway, are going to respect you 10 times more for saying that than just making something up. And then on the other side, there are plenty of opportunities where you can just make it up, you know, as long as you're Mm -hmm. not lying, if you're just winging it on the fly and you do it in a confident way and you follow through on the things that you promise, that's totally okay too. You got to fake it till you make it in some cases. So I love the, I love the approach there. And I think that's honestly, what's been the biggest thing that I've learned over time to combat imposter syndrome was just reminding myself, no, like, you you know that they want what you have like they're reaching out to you for a reason or you got invited on this podcast for a reason or to speak at this group for a reason like you've got no reason to be feeling like you're an imposter <laughs> just show mm-hmm. up and be you and be real and be honest at the end of the day cuz you're not going to have all the answers so right what are some other strategies or or things that you've found effective for for managing that feeling of, of imposter syndrome or, or just like yeah. self degradation. Is that the right word? Yeah. Putting yourself yeah. down in those situations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the writing is huge. And I think something that's really important for people to understand too, is that this, this concept of writing daily does not have anything to do with like being a writer or not being a writer or being a good writer or whatever. The discipline of sitting down every day and and Julie Cameron will tell you uh, in her book, The Artist's Way, that it has to be like the first thing that you do for your coffee, you know, right? Like it's on your nightstand, get your notebook out and do your thing. Um, I'm a little bit more flexible. Yeah. <laughs> okay. but I, think, I think that the process sitting down, like for me, especially if I if I recognize that one of those feelings or one of those thoughts has entered into my space, you know, like, I just don't know, like, I don't really, maybe I shouldn't do this. Like, I don't know. I'm just saying the same thing that everybody else is saying, you know, those are the kind of messages that often come in. Um, Then I sit down and I start writing 
and um, there is no agenda for the writing other than to call out what thoughts are coming into my head and also articulate like what I know to be true. And I found that it's just very, very hard to lie to yourself when you're writing. Like when we have these thoughts going, whirling around in our heads and um, I just, I don't know, I imagine a lot of battle takes place like sort of in the back of our, of our head. Like these thoughts like come in, we sort of battle with them and then they go out. We don't really deal with them. And this is another reason why I think coaching is so important because that's when you sit down and actually say, we're going to deal with this. We're going to find an answer to this. We're not going to sit in the back of our head and wonder like, I don't know. I mean, I could do that, but I could not do that. I mean, I'm not good at it. We sort of like work on things a little bit for like 30 seconds at a time. And then our imposter syndrome or our inner critic often win and we move on. But I think that if we can begin to recognize those moments when um, those invasive thoughts or feelings are coming in, that writing is a really great way. Also, it, it, it um, in, engages both your left and your right brain. Yeah. And so it's not like just emotional anymore. You have to bring in that logical side of yourself and you have to actually face it. You have to write down like, is this really what I believe about myself? Is this really what I believe about what I can accomplish? Um, and, you, and you have to face yourself in a, in a brand new way. And so um, I think the morning pages are really helpful, but even more than that, I found when I feel just any sort of like that anxiety in my body, that I get out my notebook and I, mm-hmm. and it's like, a, you have coffee with your inner critic right? Because like these, these voices inside you, often they come from, um, from a protective place that's trying to help you from embarrassing yourself or from getting yourself into danger, right? And so that's why I feel like we have to befriend them sometimes. Um, Often we just make it one more thing to just be frustrated about, like, why am I just always so negative? Or why am I always um, struggling with this? Or I'm never going to get anything done. And it just becomes this cyclical thing. Um, But when we befriend that and sit down and go oh what are you trying to tell me okay well thank you like I appreciate that like I understand how you're trying to look out for me in this way but this is the actual truth about the situation um and and not make yourself the enemy again like you're you're not the enemy of yourself if you're if you're trying to really pursue a life that you can be proud of and that's uh, aligned with your values and um when you start to write things down I think you start to really realize um, where some of these messages are coming from and whether or not they really hold up to the test of truth. Yeah. I love that. And I think with what you just said, there's, there's lots of the pieces in there already, but let's, let's pretend for a second that I'm a client of yours and, you know, just full transparency. I, I used to write a lot more and I don't anymore. I used to keep a journal. I used to do morning pages and I've fallen out of that practice. Like what, what advice would you give to me in terms of cultivating the habit of, of a writing practice? And, you know, is there a framework that would be useful for me to follow? And I don't Mm -hmm. know, talk talk to me, Mm -hmm. talk to me like I'm a client. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the things I think is so important is um, testing and trying things and then tweaking them. Yeah, I've just created a new acronym just right there. Testing, trying, tweaking. Out. <laughs> um, so I think what's important is like, like I said, Julia Cameron has a very specific way that she says morning pages need to be done. And I think um, it is, she has a lot of wisdom. 
So like starting from that, that point of reference um, is a good place to start. But I think what you need to do is take on that challenge for a week or two weeks. And if you find yourself at the end of that week or two weeks, and that's again, where a coach is really helpful because you have that sort of accountability piece of coming back and saying, I didn't do it. (laughs) It's, it's not a failure. Why didn't you do it? What stopped you from doing it? Exactly. And it's not, and you know, there's a lot of different reasons, but a lot of times the reason is just like, that was not a good time. Like that just, that just does not work. I, for once, this is why I advocate for actually trying Julia Cameron. Like I am not a morning person at all. And my creative time is actually from like two to 6 PM, which is mm. I think weird. <laughs> it's like nap time for most yeah, people. I'm, I'm the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I do not have anything going on in the morning, but I was really surprised when I tried to really, you know, do it to the T how much I was even this morning, I've been kind of off of it for a bit, but this morning I was like excited to get out of bed and start like getting into that. And so that was something that really surprised me. That's why I advocate for trying that method first. Um, Cause there's a lot of reasons for it in terms of being able to like the very first thing that you do, clear out everything that you sort of brought into your day and, yeah. and set the tone for the rest of your day. But I don't know that that always works. I think it could be really, really challenging. You know, sometimes you have small children and you'd plan to write at 7.30 and they usually get up at eight, but then they got up at 7.15 today and now you feel like the whole day is shot or whatever it is. I think you have to figure out what works for you. Um, So the advice that I would give you would be to try Julia Cameron's method. And then in a week or two two weeks, reassess and say, is this working for me? And if not, why? And is there another time of day that I can try? Maybe you're a like, right before you go to bed writer maybe maybe you're a lunch break writer you know totally yeah when I was just starting my business I did have a morning writing practice where you know I was just kind of getting the thoughts out of my head really identifying what the one two maybe three but no more important things were for the day I forget there's probably some other things in there too that I would journal about but then at the end of the day I would have like a gratitude practice Mm. and and jot uh-huh. down the things that I were grateful for that I was grateful for in that day. And I mean, that was a period where I saw just tremendous innovation and growth in my personal development. And that ultimately led to business growth as well. And I had a lot of things right. going on, but I definitely think the writing for me was just crucial to everything yeah. that, that I had going on in that moment. And I don't think I've thought about it until this moment. <laughs> <laughs> So it might be time to get back yeah. into writing because this this new season that I'm in will require some some introspection and it's really it's really powerful as far as uh, as decision making goes yeah in acknowledging the emotions that go into decision making and I think particularly for entrepreneurs um, and leaders you know really being accountable to yourself about what is actually going into the decisions that you're making. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I just don't think it can be done unless you make it concrete in front of you. Yeah, for sure. Putting pen to paper is a powerful practice and just getting the ideas out of your head. A, so you don't forget them, but B, because in the moment when you're having ideas, at least for me, like I have ideas all the time when I'm doing something and I'm right. I can't act on them right then and there. So I need to get that out of 
out of my head and onto paper or in something yes. so that I can move on from it and not just be distracted and, and not present in whatever I'm doing or with the people that I'm currently surrounded with. And especially in business, right. there's always something that you can be doing and something that you're going to be thinking about and ideas are always popping up. So having a mm-hmm. journal somewhere deliberate where you can get that stuff out of your head and then refocus on yeah. the task or activity at hand, that's something that's been yeah. really powerful for me. Um, and the next step, have you read um, Building a Second Brain? No, the book. that so sounds, that, that, that sounds cool. I could use a second one. <laughs> yeah, no. So that's like that. It's, it's really interesting, but it, it was so helpful for me because I'm not a naturally organized person at all, but okay. taking all like, I'm, I'm there with you, like with the notebook, writing stuff that I just was like, we're driving in the car the other day. And I'm just like writing all these social media ideas and things like that. <clears throat> But in building a second brain, he talks about how to build an organization system using something like Notion or Evernote mm-hmm. to, yeah. to store all of that. And that is like critical for me because I have a 50 million different scraps of paper everywhere. But if I know sort of where it needs to go and needs to live, I know I'm not going to lose it because I think I've yeah. lost all of these ideas. <laughs> oh, I've, I've <laughs> certainly have. I'm, I'm guilty of just using notes on my computer, my iPhone. And that's a good like elementary starting point but as you get more and more complex and have more and more stuff in there it's a black hole and you you'll put stuff in there and never find it again so using notion using evernote using a system where you can categorize and organize things so that you'll actually find them and be able to utilize them later is very very important so (laughs) another good reminder for me you know not not doing everything well in that in that regard so Always room for improvement. Like I was just writing about that earlier today, like how systems, like the idea of like, well, you should really have a system. That just feels like, it just feels like authority. It feels like homework, like no thanks. But for somebody like me with ADHD, like systems are actually really freeing. Like it's not, it's it's built to like serve you so that you can go, oh good, that's awesome off that's a way you know like I put that where it's supposed to go and I don't have to think about it anymore it's totally. not like one more thing to feel bad that you're not doing sort of a yeah. thing you know systems when done right are all about freedom and that's that's a totally a buzzword in in my brand and everything that I do because mm-hmm. that's the pursuit that's what right I'm in business for that's what I'm helping my clients do and I thought I find more right. and more that's that's really the core of what most people are are out there in pursuit of these days and in business, right. I've come to realize more and more over the years that I really feel a sense of responsibility toward my mission to break the norm of small business owners just being shackled to their businesses and mm. empowering them by creating freedom when it comes to the marketing and growth of their business. That's you know, mm-hmm. the, the lane that we work in and in height digital. But you know, in the beginning, mm-hmm. I didn't have that sense of responsibility. I was when I was just getting started, I was just providing a service. I was providing value and and that was kind of it. But now I feel more emotionally responsible for the outcomes that we create. And it's a real motivator mm-hmm. that I use to empower and inspire my team to, you know, help me in that endeavor. I'm curious, like, what do you think about entrepreneurs feeling that sense of responsibility toward their endeavor, whatever it might be? And what does that mean to you and your business? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it ties back to that imposter syndrome conversation about like, what, what if the world's waiting for you to do 
yeah. this thing inside of you that you feel like you need to do, um, that you don't have to ask permission to, to show up fully, but that, that that's actually a need. Um, and I think that that, that taps into a part of us that is exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that responsibility should feel too heavy. And maybe that's the other side of it too, is this idea of, um, of creating healthy boundaries, because I want to help every single person in the entire world. And so I have to learn how to stay, stay true to my mission as well. And not just have it be like too broad in terms of just like helping people with anything all the time, every second that anyone asks or that I identify they have a need. Now I'm going to like sign myself up, you know, I love to do that. (laughs) And so I think, um, part of having your, having a clear responsibility to your mission is, is sticking to that as well and continuing to revisit it periodically to make sure that you are still really aligned with the direction that you um, previously identified that you wanted to go and that all of the different components of your life or your business are headed that direction and are not distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the blanket of all of that, again, not this conversation of like, gosh, now I'm going to be so frustrated with myself that I allowed myself to be distracted in this way or whatever. Like that's just a part of it. Like that will just happen. We will see shiny things. We will relapse into our, you know, need to help um, people, our savior complexes or whatever it is that we struggle with. And then we'll get back up. (laughs) That one's real for me, for sure. (laughs) Try (laughs) to help everybody, but at the end of the day, I cannot. So, (laughs) right. Like finite time, finite resources. And it's really, it's really, really hard. Um, But I think understanding and seeing how much better you serve the people that you can really serve the best when you're not trying to chase people down and be like, I can help you, I can help you, um, has been a really important thing for me to reflect on. Yeah. Got to help the people that want to be helped. So what do you, do you have any like frameworks or systems that you follow to achieve your goals, but also just to like, know that you're, you're in alignment with that commitment, that why that purpose that you've sought set out to, to really embody in your business? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I hate to be a broken record, but it does come back to the writing. The writing. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that gives us like perspective on all of the applications that, that a writing practice can have. So please continue. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Totally fair. Totally fair. Yeah. So I think, I think coming back to the writing is that, that is where you begin to recognize different things that um, can come in and distract you. Like for instance, um, I was trying to figure out sort of who my target audience was um, long ago. And I was writing about that and realizing that it was very important to me to not target a female specific audience, even though I felt like that might be um, a natural place for me to be, to help um, women with imposter syndrome, with um, work-life balance, all of that sort of thing. Um, But I realized that I had felt like I had something to prove, I think, in wanting to be able to be universally appealing or universally being able to help anybody in any stage of life, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, as I dove into that topic in my writing, and again, that might sound like, oh, I'm like preparing some sort of a treatise. No, this is literally like writing that you can burn. And I have to tell clients this a lot because 
some people even have um, past uh, trauma about people reading their writing when they yeah. were um, younger reading or their journal even or, not. Yeah. yeah. So I like that kind of surprised me because I don't think that's ever happened to me. Not that I know, you know, not that I know. Yeah, you may not know, but. <laughs> you know, I can imagine how, how violating that would feel. And so I've actually talked with a couple of clients who struggle to write about things honestly. And I think this is the topic that, you know, I might feel comfortable sharing here, but not everybody might feel comfortable sharing publicly, but they might write about it. Like, why do I have this thing that I'm, you know, working through in terms of needing to sort of appeal to everyone um like working through this um and yeah i think just remembering that you some people need to burn the pages like right after you write them yeah like you will have um you will have good ideas that should be translated over into your second brain that you've built your notion or your evernote or whatever or you might have a journal that like you don't have to burn them but some people even when they know they like these people literally live alone like <laughs> They live alone and they still fear that like somebody might someday read this. I mean, I don't know, maybe they worry that they're going to get hit by a bus this afternoon and, you know, somebody's going to come clean out their house and know, and, and that's real. And I think that's fine, but to get rid of it, like throw it away, tear it up, do whatever you need to do to be absolutely honest in that time that you're spending with, um, with yourself to work through these things. Because when you sit down, it's like, okay, we're going to solve this problem. It's not like I'm going to write an essay. It's not, I'm going to create this beautiful piece of writing. It's I'm going to solve this problem. And so, um, I think exploring some of those things, um, on the page is really important. I don't know if I really answered your question. No, I, I think, can't remember what yeah, your you question did. was. <laughs> I don't even, I oh, know it was about goals and stuff, but I love the intentionality there. Like I've, I've done just that, like having, some deep, deep work and putting it onto paper and with the intention in the very beginning of like, yeah, I'm going to go through this and it's going to be hard, but then I'm going to burn it. And that was just like a freeing practice in and of itself. It's kind of a, you know, ritualizing yep. it to some degree, like, yep, this just served a purpose. And now to ash it goes. <laughs> yeah. And you walk away with like a real tangible product. I think it feels weird to think like, I'm going to do a bunch of work and then I'm going to burn it. It's like no, like it. You the work is in the practice. Paper. Yeah, the yeah, words on the paper—they're exactly. only as powerful as what you you got out of actually putting them there and right. reading them again. Maybe in some cases would serve you down the road, but it's it's the, yeah. the present act of doing it that really has the the tremendous power behind it. So, right, yeah. I often talk about <clears throat> coaching as like untangling knots, you know, and so it's like you might have burned the pages, but like you had that knot that was in the back of your head somewhere and, and you got it untangled like that it's tangible to walk away with that kind of clarity totally. and freedom totally well all right amanda this is a podcast about entrepreneurship but one of the biggest hurdles that we all face at one time or another is living a well-rounded life and doing the things that bring us joy with the people that we care about most and i always mm -hmm. like to understand what that looks like for everybody I have on the podcast. So what does living a well-rounded life look like for you? I mean, especially when you were in a full-time job, but you had your own clients, you're a mom, you've got kiddos at home, you've got a husband, you've got mm -hmm. a lot to, a lot to wrangle in. How do, how do you balance it? Yeah. Out? Yeah. This is one of my huge passions as well is, uh, is work-life integration. I'm not a fan of the, the term work-life balance, because I feel like that life and work mm -hmm. yeah as these opposites you know gotta be in balance and, to be good no that's, that's not yeah 
and then it's another just invitation for shame too of like something that you're just not doing well again <laughs> yeah <laughs> my life isn't balanced enough or whatever it is in, in one direction or not but um and this is actually i'm uh, just little promo for um for my own work but i'm working on a book about work-life integration i'm really really excited about it so this is a really huge passion of mine awesome. and i think yeah, I'm pretty excited. I think that it all comes down to the process of decision-making and triaging the most important needs. So even when I had a full-time role, it was interesting because uh, it was headquartered on the East Coast and I live in Oregon. And so I'm three hours behind. And um, so there was a lot of like asynchronous work that needed to take place. And what I would often do and what I still do today is take each day and examine what the priorities are so like right now for me like I'm not getting a regular paycheck so I have to work in order to get paid and so I have to put in that time um and not that I didn't have to work for my paycheck before yeah, but it was, it's no, not, it was not yeah um and so I have to put in that time, but also my kids are six and four. And this, these are very, very important years and we're, our family is very close and it takes a lot of triage and a lot of decision-making to determine what's the most important thing for me today. And what I try to do is I try to zoom in to the day, the hour, the moment in terms of what the most pressing thing is. Like if I know that I have not been giving my work enough attention, then I know that I need to um, not only not only make the decision to say that work needs to be the top priority right now, but also to communicate that with the other people in my life. So my husband also is, uh, he's a journalist for mountain biking publications. And so he's also self-employed and we juggle back and forth um, taking care of our kiddos and working. So we have to communicate and, you know, figure out how to be, uh, respectful of one another's needs and priorities in that. So it takes a lot of proactive communication and not just with my husband, but also with my kids, because I think, um, it's very important to me to respect them. And I know that their expectation, especially as kiddos, the age that they are, is that I will be there for them every single minute of the day, you know, to cater to every single possible whim that they have. And um, so I have to figure out how to proactively communicate what I, how I want to be there for them and when I can be and when I can't be so that they're not dealing with constant surprises. So I think that's a very important piece. Um, and also just like inviting our kids into that, I think is another really, really huge thing. Part of this whole, I want to end this whole dichotomy between work and life is I feel like we often set an example for our kids that work is this like terrible thing to be avoided and like, oh, we have to go and do it. And it's awful. And I'd rather be with you. I hate work, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> we, we're showing them like how their future is going to be. We're showing them what, what the world is going to look like someday for them. And so how are we framing that for them? But I think it's really important, um, both when it comes to like how I approach um, helping my kids with schoolwork and things like that, like their work that they that they're responsible for, um, but also just how I frame my own uh, 
existence as a working person is very, very important to me so that they don't see work as the enemy and something that is going to be terrible. No, it's there are, but all, there are pieces of it. There are things that you have to do that you don't yeah. want to do. We all like, have to do stuff we is. don't like to do at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, that is a part of it. But that's not just like what work is. And I think this like chunk of thing that's like, what is work, you know, <laughs> like our job yeah. um, and separating that from life is can be really, um, can just set our kids up for the same kind of disappointment yeah. that we've had. Oh, I love that you brought that up. It's actually... I was just talking with a mentor of mine about this exact thing like a week or so ago. And he was telling me a practice that he has for that very reason of like not wanting to separate work from family or, or set this expectation that work is bad and everything else is good for his young children. So like coming home and when he's had a bad day or there's a problem going on, like actually bringing his kids into the conversation. Like even yep. you know, if it's something that's super complex, like breaking it down, like, Oh, you know, TJ, what would you, what would you do if you were faced with this problem or, you know, what, what ideas do you have around this, that, or the other? And, you know, he said just involving them in the conversation yep. empowers them, gets them thinking more in, in depth into some complex issues, but also just, they get to know what you're doing. They get to know your business, right. they get to know, what kind of work you're involved with. And he was like, I've actually had some brilliant ideas that they've given me through yeah. this practice, like things that I never would have thought of that my, you know, eight-year-old yeah. just had the correct answer and it totally was the right move. So I love that idea of not separating them, but finding ways where you can integrate your work and your family life in a way where you're not bringing your work home with you and not being present, but you're still able to involve your family and, and create this kind of yin yang scenario where there's not right. a, a good and a bad. Cause I totally agree. Right. Like, you know, growing up, I definitely had that, that viewpoint of, of work as taking my you know parents away from the family right? and, and being something that's that what it is had to do. Yep. So that's what they see it as is that work is just this thing that means my mom can't be with me or my dad can't be with me um, rather than an extension of our lives. And it is so true that like, even when I, cause I do the same thing, like that's so cool that that's like, I was talking about that too um, in terms of having these conversations and sharing what's going on, because it really is just down to like how people treat one another, <laughs> just like when you're six or when you're 36, like how you treat how you treat each other and like, what's, you know, a fair way to deal with things and things like that. So it provides a really, really great learning environment and, and doesn't make work so, so scary. I think it's so important for us to have those conversations. Um, and it really equips our kids. Um, I want my kids to have an entrepreneurial mindset too, you know, yeah, like I totally. both adventurous and entrepreneurial you know we I, I don't know if I've ever told you that we reward our kids for bravery we like give them money for like doing things that are oh, hard no, for yeah. them and and uh things yeah like rather than rewarding them for chores for or chores anything. yeah uh yeah and I mean sometimes we'll do that too like if they you know do something really um special and useful around the house or something like that but for the most part it's things that scare them like yes. and it's not there's not pressure it's not like you have to go do this. It's like, Hey, well, if you're willing to do that, like you'll get, that's three tokens right there for like jumping off that thing or, you know, whatever it is that scares yeah. that child. Because I believe that that connect, like the, the things that we want to teach our kids now, like need to connect to them being equipped adults. And I believe that totally. like 
I assign financial <laughs> reward to my kids for, for taking risks because I think that there are financial rewards for taking risks when you're growing up. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I love that idea. Like doing a courageous act every day is a practice that I've had mm. at different seasons of my life, whether it's something small, like going up and talking to a stranger or, you know, getting up on a stage or starting a podcast, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But doing that and having that practice as a kid and being rewarded for it, yeah. it, it wires your brain to, to take risks. I was at a conference a few weeks ago where John Maxwell was speaking and had a very similar approach for his grandkids. He not doing courageous acts, but reading books. You get financial, oh, uh-huh. financial reward for, for reading books. And I forget what, what the, the key piece was. I think it was like pulling quotes out or something from, okay. from the books and sharing that with, with grandpa, John Maxwell. And if it, if the quote or the lesson was worthy in his mind to like make the, <laughs> the top 100 list or whatever, then there was even an additional incentive. So you know, Very all cool. to say, just finding ways to, to reward your kids for things that are actually going to help them learn and grow and, and become, you know, thriving adults versus chores, right. which yeah, the chores need to get done too, but <laughs> not as much yeah, of a be benefit there. Yeah. That yeah, should just be an sure. expectation. Like, yeah, you're part of the family. You do the chores. <laughs> right. And we do it yeah. together and we try yeah. to have fun with it and we try not to, to make it a scary thing, but yeah, it's been really interesting to watch especially my six-year-old son, like work through decisions about whether a risk is worth it to him. And oftentimes a few different times that that situation comes up and he's like, you know, but then by the third time or something that it comes up, he's like, he's, he finally gets the courage, but it it makes it very tangible. Um, And -hmm. I think it makes it something that again, they're not feeling that pressure from mom and dad that like, no, you need to be like, I'm going to shove you in the pool. You know, you need to be brave, like figure it out. Jump off that cliff. Go. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. totally. Like that's, I mean, that's what one way to parent for sure. Um, but it still provides that, um, incentive and that encouragement to do the thing that we of course want them to do. We of course want them to be brave. I mean, not reckless, but (laughs) brave. And, uh, yeah, so they, they have that additional incentive. It's, it's been really neat to see their little brains like work Mm -hmm. through what's worth it to them. (laughs) I love it. I mean, just, just wiring your brain to, be comfortable and accustomed to evaluating risk versus reward and yeah taking, taking the risk when that that value is there at the end of the day yeah yeah and yeah. i've been challenged in my own life too in that like uh in reading the artist's way um like you were talking about those little uh courageous things that you tried to do each day i was doing that in terms of like trying to be more creative like I'm going to, I'm going to wear this color that I would never wear, or I'm at the gym and we're doing high intensity interval training. And we're just doing these moves, but there's music in the background and I'm just going to let myself prove to the music a little bit in this room of people. I don't know, you know, like just taking those little steps. It, it's like a muscle, like bravery is a muscle. So I think it's important to, it is. To yeah, the more, that. the more you flex it, the easier it becomes. So mm-hmm. I think that's a great place for us to segue towards wrapping up here. Is there any, any other advice, ask, challenge, anything at all that you'd like people to, to think about as we move to close up here? You know, I think the biggest thing that I'm thinking about right now in terms of it showing up 
and this imposter syndrome stuff is that um, we still, there are a lot of us that have struggled under toxic leaders at different times in different organizations. Um, maybe, you know, just even government or whatever it is, everybody is, is impacted by toxic leaders and by, you know, feeling like they're sort of um, at the mercy of somebody else's decisions. Uh, but I think that the most important way that we can combat that is for us to show up entirely and for us to listen to the voice inside of us that says we that we know what is right and that we're honest and that we don't just tell our toxic leaders what they want to hear just because we we know what they want to hear, but that yeah. we we follow our inner voice. And so that that to me is a really important thing, I think, in all of this, because I think it does imp it has a greater impact on how our society goes, on just our future together as human beings. Um, imposter syndrome tells us like that people don't really need to hear what we want to say, but the converse to that, this idea of self-efficacy, this belief that you can do it, this belief that you can do it and you should do it, is the thing that's going to take away the keys from um, the people that don't have the right intentions of the people that are steering this big ship <laughs> where it's going, whether that's the ship of your organization, this country, whatever it is. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, it's just that general final call of responsibility to show up. Just show up. I love it. Amanda, where can people listening find and support you online, website, socials, all that good stuff? Yeah, so my website, which is in the process of a redesign, um, is realcoaching.com. My last name is R-E-I-L-L. -L, and I am um, very active on LinkedIn. I should be the only Amanda Real that there is. Um, so you can look me up there. I am active on TikTok, um, at Real Coach, and Facebook, Instagram. I'm at Real Writing. I am kind of a little bit all over the place not in every single one of the channels but those are the channels that I've invested in at this point yeah well we'll make it easy we'll put all the links in the show notes for everybody listening and thank Perfect. you so much this has been a value-packed episode a great reflection on imposter syndrome for me and I took a bunch of notes over here for things that mm. I want to get back into the practice of um, especially an intentional writing practice so Thank you. Thank you for Love the it. nudge in the right direction <laughs> for showing up today. I, I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been really fun to talk about these things. Um, and I'm excited to see more and more folks show up. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember, whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.